Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Sometimes the, the shows around here, uh, one show leads to another. They say uh, in Perkeavos, Ethics of the Fathers, one mitzvah leads to another. Sometimes in Jew in the City Speaks, one radio show leads to another. Today's guest I uh, connected with after um, speaking to Saul Blinkoff. He was an all-star from 2014. Orthodox Jewish all-star. He's a Disney animator and director, and uh, his family is in the business, too. His uh, son, um, Asher, just was the star in a movie, Hotel Transylvania 2. He was, I'm trying to remember the name now. I can't, of course, remember now that I'm on the spot, but the the little kid in the the movie, the main character, um, he was the voiceover for this part, and he worked with some very big uh, leads. Co-stars in this movie included Adam Sandler, Selena Gomez, um, it was, you know, I think it, the opening week also, you know, made records in terms of, you know, big opening weeks for September when it came out. My kids still want to see it. Hopefully soon we'll see it. Anyway, while I was uh, promoting the the story about how little Asher Blinkoff, uh, you know, came to work in a yarmulke and sitzes and, you know, they worked around his Shabbos schedule, I connected with a man named Dave Weinberg who said, oh, that's so funny. I didn't know that there was a, you know, an Orthodox kid starring in this movie. My company actually is doing the, you know, social media promotion for Sony. So I said, really, do tell. So we started chatting a little bit and I found out that this guy who I'm Facebook friends with, I'm not sure how, when or how we got Facebook friends, I guess it happens on Facebook, um, had founded this company that um, has done some pretty successful things. Um, it's called Loop 88. It was founded in March 2012, and Loop 88 is now the largest multi-channel network in the Pinterest ecosystem, working with over 10,000 influencers, boutique, and global global advertising agencies, and top brands such as P&G, The Home Depot, Verizon, General Mills, and Lionsgate Entertainment. And in terms of uh, Dave, he lives in D.C. He was born and raised in Canada, but if you look at his travel schedule, you may say his address should be seat number eight. After co-founding the Save Darfur Coalition while still in college, Dave started various organizations and businesses before creating Loop 88, his favorite in our opinion. Um, Not just a CEO, Dave is also a Pinterest addict, hoping one day to complete an awesome pirate backyard playground for his boys that he once pinned. Dave, good morning. Welcome to Jew in the City Speaks. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm on social media a lot. And one thing that I pretty much avoid is Pinterest. Um, We do have an intern who uh, manages the Jew in the City Pinterest board. But um, I don't really know too much about it. First of all, when I first came onto the scene... A few years ago, I didn't even know what to call it. I actually was calling it pin interest. And I actually went to a meeting, like in social media. Some people were training us. And I was like, oh, pin interest. The one was like, Pinterest. I was like, I feel so dumb. Okay, so we know it's called Pinterest. Um, I think what doesn't work for me is that it's like about being organized virtually. And since I'm so disorganized in real life, the idea of like organizing my, you know, social media things seems like. So against what I do, but the truth is that I never actually tried it. Perhaps if I logged in, there are some times when I do say, oh, that's a great recipe or that's a great article. I'd love to save it for later. So maybe really I could be a Pinterest addict um, and I just don't know it. So I guess like tell us a little bit about um, like, you know, when, when did you get involved? The company was founded in 2012. Has Pinterest really been along or around that long or did you guys found Loop 88 to do something else originally, like sort of take us through that journey. Absolutely. 
Um, well, first off, I know that if you got into Pinterest, you would be totally addicted because that's uh, the way everyone gets into it. Because it's not about you know necessarily just grabbing a recipe you find somewhere. It's about finding all new stuff. It's an aspirational network. It's where you find all the things that you're looking for in your life. It's actually sort of like the next version of Google. Um, Pinterest was founded a number of years ago, and we um, came about within the first six months of Pinterest. We, um, we looked at two different things. One is the way uh, influencers, people with a lot of influence online, were being bought and sold didn't make any sense to us. When you look at someone, let's say, like a Kim Kardashian who has millions of followers, we didn't really see why there was any context to why she was making all that money. And so we built a technology that began to ask questions around influence online. Why do people do what they do? Why do you choose to follow someone with influence? How does content move around the web? So we built this really interesting technology platform to ask these questions. And then at the same time, we saw this new network that people were just absolutely addicted to called Pinterest. So we applied the technology to Pinterest and started this company. Our theory was if Pinterest was going to be one of the top, you know, three to five social networks which had to come, it was going to have a whole ecosystem around it. It was going to have a way for brands to do all kinds of interesting marketing operations. It's going to have an ecosystem with applications and places for influencers. And so we built the very first company in the Pinterest ecosystem. Wait, so just Since like to take a step back here, did you have grow. a background in like marketing, advertising, programming, anything related to these areas? So uh, my background is nonprofit management and marketing. Uh, like you said, I started when I was at one of you, the Saved Our Four Coalition, which uh, went from my dorm room to uh, an international organization with a lot of um, cloud and heft. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I we did a whole bunch of different things at Hillel and YU and at the OU before starting to work in uh, startups, which was really my passion. Um, and you, know, you don't need to be a programmer to start a company, especially today. You need to have a great idea. You need to be able to crystallize it, to edit it down, to find a partner. I have a great co-founder, uh, Ariel Weimer, who's in Toronto, um, who actually we went to um, after high school. We met in Israel. Um, we've been friends ever since. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to be able to execute on, on a good idea. That's what startups are all about. Ideas can, are sort of a dime a dozen, but it's about executing. Can you, is it, um, is there something like proprietary that you can't tell us about or will we not understand it? Could you explain to us like what your company does that's unique with this? Sure. So Loop 88 is a leading creative marketing platform for Pinterest. We do three major things, um, typically for big brands on Pinterest. We do management, so we help create your profile and then manage it month to month, do all the design work around pins, because we're experts. We really understand why things work on Pinterest as opposed to other networks. We do um, influencer campaigns, so big marketing campaigns where we bring in one of our 11,000-plus influencers to create original content, and through our tech, we're able to pinpoint why a certain person would be perfect for us. And then we do media. So Pinterest has their own version of um, ad buying, and um, we help the companies figure out how to pinpoint their ads and spend appropriately. Um, because we've become the experts and really focus only on Pinterest, um, we get turned to for all kinds of stuff. In fact, the campaign um, that you mentioned um, with Osher um, was one of the most successful campaigns on Pinterest ever for Hotel Transylvania. Hmm. Um, and, and just to take a tangent, so this past, um, weekend on Shabbos, we uh, discovered that we know Saul, 
as well, my, my wife, who's um, an art teacher locally uh, here in, in Silver Spring, when she was in high school, went on a trip with her family to Disney World, and they saw this young guy who uh, came around, knocked on the window, and said, Hi, I'm an intern here. You guys all set for Shabbos. And they said, Yeah, and they met him, and his name was Saul Blintop, and he was interning for the very first time at Disney. Cool. And uh, so we just found through a mutual friend this past Shabbos that we actually know each other. So uh, very cool. So, so your your method, because you know, I should maybe get some social media advice from you. We're kind of spread out over several different platforms, but you think it's most effective to just stick to one and be the the king of of that platform? I think that. If you are marketing yourself as a business, a Jew in the city, you should be on the top place. You shouldn't just focus on one. Obviously, Facebook, Facebook works for you because that's where your most active um, you know, clientele are. That's where the people that you're are. Twitter is a great place for that because it's all about now, now, now. Pinterest is all about the future. Pinterest is all about what are the things that you want to do? What is the ethos of the organization? What are the things you aspire to be? Who are the all-stars? What are their lives really like? It's a way you can create boards and lifestyles around. Pinterest allows any brand to turn themselves into a lifestyle brand. Got it. So you're saying Pinterest is the stuff that you pin to get to later. It's all this stuff. Aha. And so if you're a procrastinator like me. Right, exactly. It's what you want to do and try and travel it's all the things that you hope to do in your life in an organized way got it so it's it's planning and it's organization so those are the two reasons why um i'm not naturally i'm so much more about it now that's so interesting if you think about it like that but, but you know what the truth is that um there's different types of people out there and so um it's good that there's different platforms that can speak to to different people um, I mean, for me, like, I'm thinking about making dinner, like, at 5 o'clock. I'm like, what food do we have? I guess I'm going to run to a store now and figure something out. But I guess there are people that, you know, plan their recipes and pin their recipes and do this. So what well, is it like? for now. You can, you can type in, you know, the different uh, foods that you have in your fridge, and you'll probably find recipes that work on Pinterest. Oh, that's interesting. So you're assuming that I have food in my fridge and I don't need to go shopping <laughs> every day. <laughs> well, I don't want to assume, but, you know. We're, um, we're, you know, we are maybe not at the same level of other people in terms of organization. I, yeah, I know people that, like, every Sunday they do their, you know, list for the week of their shopping and their menus. And, like, I aspire to aspiring to that, but um, I'm not a, that yet. So um, what is it like? So have you been an Orthodox Jew your whole life? You've been observant your whole life. What was it like in terms of your Orthodox background getting into media like this, any challenges or anything unique happening there? So um, I grew up traditional. I grew up in Montreal where traditional means you go to an Orthodox synagogue, um, but, you know, you might watch cartoons beforehand, uh, kept the kosher home. Um, but then when I moved to Toronto around high school, um, I ended up deciding to become sort of a practicing Orthodox Jew, I, I ended up at this place called uh, Camp Sports in CSY Camp Baltimore, and uh, I sort of made the decision through learning that this is something I wanted to do, and um, after ninth grade, I went cold turkey, and I really never turned back, and then um, the next year, I ended up going to Yeshiva for a year, and then after high school, um, I went to Israel to Rashid, and then I ended up at YU, and that's where I met my wife, and it's just been a terrific journey. Um, getting into media... You know, there are, first off, media 
the joke that uh, Jews run the media. I wouldn't say they run the media, but there are certainly Jews at every level of media. And it's funny to be in uh, rooms, conferences around the world, and top meetings with all these media companies where everyone's Jewish, but I'm the only one wearing a yarmulke. Uh, say everywhere except you know certain hot spots in Europe, I'm always wearing a yarmulke. I'm really the only one. So it's, the thing is that yes, yeah, so a lot of Jews in the media, but so none of none of them observe it. And I find that sometimes non-observant Jews uh, have a harder time with an Orthodox Jew than non-Jews do. And I think it's a lot of the stuff that we deal with in terms of Jew in the city. A lot of misunderstandings or stereotypes are sort of judging the whole Orthodox community by the most extreme and closed-minded cases, and kind of you know lumping that onto the yarmulke in front of them. Right? I'm saying, have, have, have you experienced any of that, or people generally? Oh, sure. You know, there's always the, the you, you, to a certain degree, get the feeling that people are staring an inch above your head sometimes. Right. But I think that there's a lot of, especially when you get to the top um, of any field, there's a lot of respect there. And mm. I, it's not that there aren't other practicing Orthodox Jews in, in this. There are, absolutely. Um, and I look to a few of them as my mentors. Um, but I would say I'm the only sort of publicly visible. You know, it's easily for um, a woman to practice to the local orthodox and no one would have a clue. It's easy right. for um, a guy maybe who feels that it's fine not to wear a yarmulke, which is much more of a generation these days, um, and, and be totally practicing and no one would have a clue. So I choose, uh, probably because um, I became orthodox later in my life, I feel naked without a kippah on that I, I really want to wear it and it's my identity. Mm-hmm. And do people ever bagel you when you're in your yarmulke? Do they ever, you know, start talking to you about, like, you know, uh, kugel or challah or that sort of a thing um, to sort of let you know? Sure, that, I get bagels oh. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I get, bag- I get bagels all the time. But, you know, it's, it's, it's fun, and I get to take a lot of people out to kosher restaurants all over the world, and hopefully sometimes that's actually a good experience. And, um, you know, we, I get a lot of questions, and I get a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, be Makadosh and Shemayim and give good, good words, hopefully, respect to what we do and what, how we act. And it's, it's, it's an interesting opportunity. Has there ever been a time where someone told you that meeting you and getting to know you kind of changed their opinion about what they thought about religious Jews, or are people not so kind of forthright about that? I think typically people aren't so forthright about stuff like that, but yeah. um, I think especially with employees and partners that I spend a lot of time with, they they get over time what makes sense, and you know, especially when it comes to kosher, that's that's the thing that comes up all the time because they mm-hmm. see me eating or not eating, and so it comes yeah. up all the time. Mm-hmm. And how about like Shabbos or or holidays? Does that ever uh, present challenges? Sure. I think uh, over the course of the year, I end up uh, missing a tremendous amount of opportunity, not opportunity, but potential opportunity, because it's on, especially Yom Tov, more Shabbos, and then, you know, I definitely don't go, and if it's a major Yom Tov, even if someone's Jewish in the company, we, um, you know, we we ask them not to participate. Um, We Mm -hmm. actually recently had a, a huge client opportunity, and they gave us two dates. One was the day after Yom Kippur, and one was Yom Kippur as a backup. And I told my team, listen, up front, if it ends up being that we don't get the date we're hoping for, we're not pitching this business. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just about the business for us. It's about what we want the company to be like and what we believe in. Yeah. 
So I was recently having this uh, similar debate on social media. We posted an article this week by a woman named Ruchi Koval who has a 12-year-old daughter that wants to do gymnastics. And it was in their family, they wear skirts. And they tried to work out a situation where, you know, there were some fathers around in an all-girls class. And, you know, they, they worked out that you could wear a shorter skirt over leggings and participate in every activity safely, but not do the bars. But if there were no men around, she'd take the skirt off. And I got kind of into a debate with someone like, how could you limit a kid like this and, you know, keep a kid from having fun? And what I tried to convey is that you can have a life of fun. You can have a life of meaning. It's possible to have a combination of both where you're, you know, living out your passions and living a meaningful life. But, you know, there are certain things that you'll have to, you know, you won't be able to do every last thing. But I think, you know, from what you're saying, you, you ultimately want to have values that you stick to. And even if it doesn't mean every opportunity is possible, there's still a whole lot of opportunities that are possible. See, I look at it a different way. I see that every opportunity is possible, but not everything that gets put in front of you is an opportunity. Sometimes uh-huh. it's a test. Sometimes it's something that maybe you shouldn't be doing, and it's a way to look at your life and say, I could do other things and, and try different things. You know, the, the, the truth is that also there's no single two practicing Orthodox Jews who practice the same way, right? Sure. And And so... It's hard to say you should do this or you shouldn't do this because everyone feels differently about everything. No matter what community you live in, uh, in the world, you know, you have people who practice orthodoxy totally differently. And so it's about how you personally feel and how you personally choose to um, practice and worship and daven and all those things. And, and you know, so it's, it's the way that you have to decide to become a better person through this, this Judaism that we know. Do you think that um, it was easier for you in terms of observance because you're the founder of this company, you could set the schedule? There are people that are working under bosses that um, it's, it's not quite as flexible in terms of when they need to take time off for a Shabbos or Yant if they have someone to answer to. Is there a difference there? 100%. There's no question that I'm biased. I built the company, our Ariel and I built a company that we completely believe in and the kind of company that... We wanted to build was a kind of company that was the opposite of a lot of really terrible jobs many of us have been to. And so, for mm-hmm. example, we have really a virtual team. We have an office in L.A. We have a small presence in New York, a small presence in uh, Toronto, and I'm alone in D.C. where I work from home when I'm home. The rest of us, you know, we tell our people, work when you need to work. If you need a vacation, you take a vacation. Nobody has a set amount of days. It's unlimited. If you feel you need to work, you'll work. I have a team member right now in Hawaii, and you know what? She's working from Hawaii, she's getting her job done, but she's also refreshing and rejuvenating, and that's really important. And as long as you're happy and capable, you can do it. And so because we've created that flexibility and that respect about other people and what their needs are, you know, our needs and our ability to um, be practicing Orthodox Jews becomes much, much easier. And everyone understands that there's flexibility and they're free to be successful in their own way, it becomes a lot easier. There is for sure not many companies like that out there. We specifically built it. Very cool. It's also, I feel like it's very current in terms of like, you know, um, kind of work when you need to work and don't work, you don't need to work. I, I think people are more, you know, realizing that there needs to be times to shut down and unplug, and um, that's very cool. You guys do that. Let's move now on to sort of content of social media. 
I mean, I'm a big proponent of it, and I spend most of my time on social media. And yet, as my kids get older, my oldest is now 12. We just made a bat mitzvah. I'm more and more nervous about the things that my kids could find, like the dangers on the internet and kind of everything that you know um, could get to them. Um, and you know, we believe in not raising our kids, um, you know, in a cave under a rock, um, but at the same time you know, giving them access to age-appropriate information so they can be innocent while they're young and sort of, you know, slowly learn about the bigger things in the world. Do you have any opinions on kind of the challenges of the Internet as an Orthodox Jew? Well, listen, I have two little kids also, and um, we think about these things a lot. I, you know, we don't hide, but I think that it's all about teaching your kids to grow up into responsible adults. You know, I think that um, these sort of filters that people have created are kind of crazy. You have to be able to manage yourself as a human being. No matter where you go, especially in places like New York or L.A., you're going to see billboards, you're going to see ads. You know, you need to turn yourself into an adult, and a mature adult, and I think that the education, the chinach that we give our kids and we raise them will help them become responsible adults in that way. You know, yes, you can access anything on the Internet for good and for bad. And I think that's one of the amazing things with the Internet. You can get an unlimited amount of Torah podcasts and fewer and opportunities. And, you know, no matter where I travel, I can typically find a place to go to shul or food or, or uh, hospitality or meet someone else if I need to. It's an amazing thing that the Internet has provided that it was not available even 10 years ago in this way. But yeah, there's also a lot of other things on the internet. But it's about being responsible and teaching our kids to to grow up in a in a you know way that that has morality. For sure. What about um, like great social media practices? You said that um, this Hotel Transylvania um, uh, campaign that you ran was your most successful one ever. Do you have any tips or, you know, sort of general guidelines about what makes for great social media to anyone out there listening who wants to get involved? Sure. So first off, they're all different, right? All the platforms are different, and it's important to know that when you create content for them. If it's just you as a person, then you need to think about what you do and where you do. So, for example, uh, personally, I spend most of my time um, socially on Facebook. Um, when I'm at a conference or traveling, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, and when I'm um, collecting ideas or posting, I do that on Pinterest. Pinterest is actually not a social network. You're not chatting with other people. You're finding amazing content. So Hotel Transylvania, which was not only our most successful campaign, it was one of the most successful campaigns ever on Pinterest. Mm. Um, it's about creating content that, A, matches what's going to be around it. So understanding, um, you know, let's say you in the city, you know, understanding people that are looking for you, what are the kind of content that they're looking for, right? So ensuring that it has great uh, descriptions, ensuring that the images are really, really high quality, um, you know, pictures, quotes really do well. Um, so, you know, people love quotes that are just designed, nothing else on them. Um, on Pinterest, you can post a million times a day and it actually won't bother anyone because it's not social. Um, I'll give you an example. So um, the half-life of social media, which is the, the time it takes a piece of content, so you post a tweet or you post a picture on, on Facebook, 
Uh, the amount of time it takes for that sort of drop to the bottom of anyone's feed, and no one sees it anymore, is called Half-Life. So Half-Life on Twitter is 45 minutes. Half-Life on Facebook is an hour and a half. But the Half-Life on Pinterest is three and a half months. Wow. So it's a totally different understanding of the way to use your content. You could post a lot, a lot, a lot of things and create a lot, a lot of boards. You can even have secret boards. turns out about 40% of all secret boards are wedding boards. Interesting. It's, you know, in the fact that you said they're they're not not social. Sorry, what'd you say? Yeah, it's, it's it's not particularly social in that way. No, you just described to me why I've never gotten into it because I'm social and I'm about right now as opposed to not social and planning for the future. It's so interesting that I'm understanding this now. So, okay, so it's really a very different piece like that. And then I guess um, I guess the last thing that I would ask is you founded this in 2012. By 2015, you're the number one um, company out there in this space. Any tips for, you know, what what went right? How did this? How did your company become so successful in such a short time? You know, if we have other entrepreneurs out there that are, you know, think they have a great idea. Well, I would say one is um, we are far from an overnight success. Um, it takes a lot of perseverance. Um, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster, and there are very high highs and very low lows. And the people who are typically successful are the ones who continue to stick it out no matter what. It's the people who don't turn their backs on the opportunity. It's the people who can get through incredibly difficult moments um, and sort of fly by the seat of their pants and take a lot of risk. It's not for everyone. Um, And so we built a company on relationships where we spent a tremendous amount of time in front of agencies and brands educating them on Pinterest and showing them and proving to them not only that we're experts, but that we want their business. We want to treat them really, really well and do terrific work. That, over time, has turned into lots and lots and lots of repeat business of mm. great clients, of an amazing team, great partners, wonderful investors. It takes a lot of time and a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work. There is no quick kind of opportunity. None. Yeah, you got to work really, really hard and focus, focus. Amazing. All right, well, since I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I recently found out a couple years ago that I'm actually a social entrepreneur. I didn't know what the name was for an entrepreneur that purposely makes no money um, as they build their crazy dream. Um, But uh, it's great advice. Um, It was great having you on and hearing your story. And uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, seeing more successful things from Loop 88. And uh, it's great to know that there's someone out there doing all this cool stuff, wearing yarmulke, making a Kiddush Hashem. So best of luck to you. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. And also going on uh, now at Jew in the City, um, we just opened up registration for an upcoming event um, a few months back. You may remember we had a woman on named Emily Stern, an observant Jew who is the oldest daughter of Howard Stern, um, who's an artist. We are um, doing an art opening for her next month. It will be in Brooklyn. Um, There's actually two events that we're running. Uh, On November 18th, it's a Wednesday night, we are running a singles event. Um, We've had many people over the years tell us that they would love for Jew in the City to run a singles event, and it would be so much fun, you know, to be able to meet other people who, you know, 
share a similar uh, hashkafa, a similar philosophy. You know, we think uh, our, our diverse fan base at Jew in the City uh, is comprised of people who share two main qualities. They're spiritual, they're growth-oriented, they're sincere and hopeful, but at the same time, they're realistic. They're living in this world. They're open-minded. They're not judgmental. And the great thing about a community of people like that is that it spans every community, um, from Hasidic to Chabad to modern Orthodox to Yeshivish to Sephardic, a little bit of everything. And so what we're hoping will happen at this singles event is that people that normally wouldn't meet each other or quote-unquote fit um, on paper will come together and get connected and maybe, you know, we'll uh, make a shidduch or two. If you'd like to register, we are screening this event ahead of time because we want an equal breakup of male and female. We want certain ages, 25 to 35. We want to make sure that you fit into this description of uh, observant, but at the same time, worldly and open-minded. If you'd like to register to uh, come to our event, we only have 60 spots. You can go to bit.do slash JITC events registration. Again, that's bit.do front slash JITC events registration. Um, Then the next night on Thursday, uh, November 19th, we are doing an art opening open to the public. Uh, Again, this also is a small amount of space that we have. Uh, We only are selling 40 tickets to the main event and we're selling 40 tickets to an early bird showing. Because this is going to be a fundraiser for us, the main event is $180 a ticket. Um, it's food, wine, uh, there's going to be live music. You'll get to hang out with Emily Stern in a very intimate setting. We've got some big media that, you know, God willing, is going to be covering this. We wanted to have a, a slot for people that the 180 would be a little bit prohibitive. And so um, if you can get there at 530, uh, the tickets then are only $72. And we have 40 spots for that as well. Um, people have actually asked us to put tickets on hold for them, even before the ticket sales went up. Um, and so if this interests you while you're listening right now, I highly recommend you visit our website. And uh, you can go to jewinthecityparty.eventbrite.com, and that's how you can get tickets to the main event. Or you can also just go to jewinthecity.com. You'll see a banner where you can sign up. Thanks so much for listening today, and we'll see you here next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye.